0: Genesis chapter number 35, we're going to jump right into a portion of scripture. I'm not going to have you stand because we're going to spend a few minutes here and then this is just the introduction, it'll be probably longer than the sermon, but fear not, it won't be too long and Lord willing there won't be a foot of snow when we leave, but don't look out the windows just in case. This is the the fourth time I... I planned to preach this same sermon four different times, or three different times, and I hesitated this last time, I thought, maybe it's the sermon that's the problem, so I thought about doing something different, but I really feel like this is what God would have us to look at tonight. So Genesis chapter 35, verse number 1, the Bible says, And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee, when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. And Jacob said unto his household, And all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean and change your garments. Let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand, and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. If you want a sermon title, Aaron was looking for one already before we started. You could title it, Becoming in Israel. Now, Jacob, his name is still used here, but previously, just chapters before, his name had been changed to Israel, meaning a prince with God. Here we see a change. This man, Jacob, had become a different man. We're going to review some events of his life. But if we were to look back in these chapters, as we will, and consider some thoughts, when you look at that and you look at this, they were polar opposites. Two different men, two different events. Two different things were transpiring here. And as I looked at Jacob, I couldn't help but think about my own life. I couldn't help but think about our church. Maybe you personally, where... The life you had been living, or the place you were spiritually, had been a Jacob. But I think it would be all good for us all to pursue this life of an Israel. Let's pray as we begin. Father, I pray you take your word and encourage our hearts. Lord, maybe there would be some here tonight that, even through the encouraging songs and the truth set to words and the music, still struggle to... Get an ear for the things of God. Lord, I pray that You would just press us in our heart, that You would convict us, draw us unto Yourself, that the truth of Scripture might sink within us and that it might grow. We pray You'd have Your way tonight. In Jesus' name, Amen. I want to take a look at just a few things in these verses. First of all, as we begin, I want to say this. God wants to speak. There's no exemptions, you, you can't say, well, he doesn't want to speak to me, look what I've done, or look at the person I was. I just as I mentioned a moment ago, but think about this man Jacob. Think about who he had been, and we'll look at that in a moment. I think about Moses, a man who had, been, uh, who had fled because he had murdered another man, a man who was, might I add, old, A man who felt unfit and unworthy. He had made excuses, but God still wanted to speak to Moses. I think of Peter, who denied Christ publicly and even cursed the name of Christ, only to flee from the presence of of the Lord, but God wasn't through with him. He wanted to speak to Peter. I think of Paul, who persecuted the church, yet God visited Paul specifically and, and changed his life. And we could go on and on, people throughout the Scriptures, men even in history. Maybe you could say in your life, you look back on a day where you were running from God, but God was running after you. And you never found God, but God found you. We're not exempt from God wanting to speak, but it's required for victory. If you want to be victorious in the Christian life, you're going to have to hear from God. I think about the words of Christ when He said that no man cometh to God or no man uh, can be saved except the Lord draw him. God's got to come to you before you can ever come to Him. God's got to speak to you uh, in our ministry, in our, in our callings, in the, the work of God. We need a voice from God. I think about that letter that was read from, uh, from Australia to the cars. I wonder in our day how often we... Just we experience an emotional state of church or a state of mind where we, we sing the hymns and we read the scriptures and we hear sermons, but there's no real life. I think that could be said about most churches in our country where it's just a ritual. We, we come in and we leave, but there's no change. You know, when God speaks, there's a change. You can't get away from it when God begins to speak. I think about Isaiah when he said God spoke and, and, he, and he said, I was, I was quiet before him. He said, I, I fell on my face. I knew I was unworthy. Something changed in his life when God began to speak. I believe that's what's needed tonight. As we look at this, we see that God said, first of all, it says, and God said unto Jacob. And with the word of God, we have the command of God. It says, arise, go up to Bethel. And dwell there and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. And with the, the, the command of God, we see a response of Jacob. And what a good response it was in verse 2. Then Jacob said unto his household and all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments. And let us arise and go to Bethel and I'll make an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress. He, he, he uh, responds correctly. He, he responds with a state of humility and repentance and says yes to the will of God. We see his obedience there as it says in verse number uh, 5, and they journeyed. They, they immediately get up and they, they begin to travel. And then we see the influence both on his family and on the world around him. When it says, first of all, they put away the strange gods. His family obeyed him. His family, not just to make him happy, but I feel like his influence changed their hearts as well. And then it says the fear of God was upon the people around him. He became influential to his neighbors and even to his enemies. But again, this isn't the same Jacob that we saw just in previous chapters. If we were to go back a few chapters and see his beginning... One of the first records we find is Jacob being what his name is known for as a deceiver, a supplanter, one who trips up or overthrows. You remember when Esau, his brother, came back from that hunting trip, and he was wore out, he was exhausted, he was famished, he was hungry. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get hungry and I feel like Esau did, I feel like I'm going to die. Um... I don't know how long it had been when Esau hadn't eaten, but he had, he had traveled, he had been out. And some of you that, you know, work for a living, that actually work, you know, you, you perspire and you get up early. And you ever had one of those days where you miss a meal and you're burning calories and, you know, lunchtime comes around and for whatever reason you don't get lunch. And you begin, I get, I get weak and shaky. My, my hands start shaking. And, uh, and man, I, I just want food. It doesn't matter what it is. I want food. And that's what Esau was. He got back and he was hungry. He was famished. And Jacob said this is my opportunity. And he said I'll trade you my bowl of stew, my my bowl of porridge for that birthright that you have, that chance to be, you know, as the eldest, that chance to gain an upper hand. And and Esau felt like he was he he was he said what am I gonna, what what good is it if I die? Now obviously I don't think he was going to die, but to to his credit, he could have gone days without food. I don't know. He wasn't much of a hunter if he'd been out hunting and he had no food, but Nonetheless, Jacob really tricked him out of his birthright and picked up that name, Deceiver, or Supplanter. And then as he, his father becomes old and he's ready to give his brother Esau this blessing as the oldest son, with the instructions of his mother, he takes another opportunity to deceive his father and steal another blessing from his brother can you imagine this, this young man going into his, his old father who his eyes are dim and his response is slow and he just blatantly and to his face lies to his father about who he is to gain an upper hand over his brother. And then we find him fleeing home because his brother Esau says, as soon as dad's dead, I'm going to kill this, this brother of mine. And he runs from there. And to, with the plan just to relocate, maybe start afresh, start a new life. The story picks up there in chapter number 28. I'm going to turn there. Because we see something that appears to be a great change in his life. Chapter 28. While traveling to Laban's house to begin anew. He uses that stone for a pillow <laughs> and he has this dream about these this ladder ascending all the way up to heaven and these angels up and down ascending the ladder. Now I don't believe today that God speaks through dreams anymore, but Jacob had no Bible and God was able to speak to these men, you know, in dreams at times through direct um, uh, speaking through, you know, the Word of God, sometimes through signs and wonders as if you're in uh, Reading through your Bible, you just went through the book of Exodus, or you're going through the book of Exodus seeing the, the signs and wonders throughout Egypt and how God spoke through those things and used those things. Here, God's using these dreams in Jacob's life. And it says that in this dream, God was at the top of the ladder, and He begins to speak to Jacob, and here's what He says. It says in verse 13, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest to give thee, will I give it, and to thy seed. And he goes on and says in verse 15, And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in a place whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into a land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid, and said, How dreadful is this place! This is none other but the house of God. That that word Bethel, as he gives the name, means just that, the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose early in the morning, and took the stone that he had put for his pillows, and set it up for the pillow uh, I'm sorry, for a pillar, and poured oil upon the top of it, and he called the name of the place Bethel. You see you see here, and you, you read and you think, Man, God's really getting a hold of this man's life. God's been willing to speak to Jacob. Jacob hadn't done anything to deserve God's presence. He, he had run from everything good. He had pursued everything evil. Yet God Almighty corners Jacob and says, Jacob, I want to bless you. You're in this lineage of, of God's blessing. I've already promised your your great or your grandfather Abraham. I, I promised your, your father Isaac. And that same promise I want to give to you. And Jacob says, man, God's Presence is in this place. I didn't even know it, but God's right here. And by the way, God is right here. And God's out there when you get there. And God's in your car when you get in it. And God's in your home when you get there. He was there before you got there, and He'll be there when you get there. Jacob didn't understand it. He was looking through carnal eyes. Sometimes we fail to understand that, that eternal presence of God. But he says, God was in this place, and I didn't know it. And you'd think, man, this is where Jacob is going to have a 180 degree turn and he's going to change his life and he's going to get right. But look at this shallow commitment we find in verse 20. And Jacob vowed a vow and say, uh, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in the way that I go and give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. He said, God, if you feed me and give me raiment and... Keep me safe on the journey, and then I, I'm going to make you my God. Almost this stipulation that says, God, if you bless me, I'll serve you. We see a very shallow commitment. If we were to continue in the story, we, we find him going to Laban's house, and many of us are familiar with this. He goes to Laban, and there he sees uh, this young lady, Rachel. And uh, he, it's love at first sight, you know what I mean? He sees her, and he says, That's the woman. And uh, he goes to his soon-to-be father-in-law, and he says, how much will it cost me? And he said, ah, how about seven years? Seven years of hard labor. And to Jacob, you remember what the Bible says, he said it felt like days because of the love that he had for Rachel. And seven years are up, and the wedding is at hand, and the veil finally gets uncovered, and Leah's under the veil. You know the story. He had tricked his, this young man and gives... Uh, him the sister and Jacob said what'd you do this for and and uh, I I wanted to incorporate a a Donald Trump line you know and Jacob says what'd you do this and and Laban says well I did that because I don't know if you heard that speech the other day Um, and they go back and forth why'd you do this well I did it because of this but after seven years you can you can have the other one so he he gets back in and and starts working again now with a new wife and then he, seven years, like weeks again or days again, it says, and he marries this other woman. Now, uh, you know, you see this trend. He's been deceiving, now he's being deceived. God had just, remember though, now we're at 14 years into this. God had revealed himself unto Jacob, but we see really no evidence that God and Jacob are any, on any speaking terms. We, we see nowhere where Jacob was really surrendered to God or turning to God. Instead, we see really a running from God. After 14 years, we find that these two women couldn't get along. I told the teens we, we've been talking about this for a few weeks in the teen department The only benefit to marrying sisters is you only have one mother-in-law. Um, that's the only benefit. And he found for years to come, this was a mistake. because he finds these two women, if you know the story, they just they were fighting like you know cats and cats. They, they, I mean, putting two sisters. As your wives, that's never a good idea. And uh, here he is; he's he's finding now the the difficulty of having two women that can't get along. He doesn't get along with his father-in-law. He continues to, if you if you know his life, he's pursuing, uh, uh you know, uh, con- uh, things in this world. He's he's pursuing uh, pursuing land and. Um, ...sheep and, and cattle... And he's, ...and he's trying to get more for himself... ...and more for himself while leaving out God. And then he finally decides... ...I've got to get out of here. I've got to get away from my father-in-law. I've basically stolen all his, his animals... ...and I've got to run. By the way, might I add this... ...we find at that point in his life... ...that one of his wives... ...were really holding on to uh, paganism. She's got these idols that she took from her dad... These, these images, the Bible says. Here he's married to a woman who practices types of idolatry. And you look at Jacob's life and you think, man, what a, what a dud. He's, think about this, so back up with me. Can you imagine him being a young man, maybe hearing the stories of a- Abraham, and dad would say, man, you'll never believe this, son. Grandpa Abraham took me up on that mountain and laid me down. But God brought a miracle. He said, You're going to get that promise. Remembering the promise of God. Yet here he's running and he gets deeper and deeper into sin. Could it be said that might be a representation of a lot of Christians tonight? God gets a hold of them. And he says, Here's my mission, here's my purpose but in our pursuit for worldliness and gain and finances and even a family, we put the things of God on the back burner. But might I declare unto you, this Jacob that we just talked about is the same Jacob that we began with. The same Jacob where it says, and God said unto Jacob. They're the same men. But something dramatically happened that changed the course of his life. And though he's not going to be perfect, he's going to make mistakes, he's going to have challenges, we see a new man. And God said, I'm not just going to change your life, I'm going to change your name. From Henceforth, you're going to be called Israel because you've just become a prince with God. I wonder tonight, where are you? Who are you tonight? Are you a Jacob or an Israel? I said a moment ago, none of us are exempt from hearing from God. All of us can become Israels. God desires to take us to that place of an Israel. And we'll let Him. Let's look at Jacob's steps, the way he became this Israel. Look at chapter number 32. This is really what made the, the difference in his life. Genesis chapter 32 Steps that Jacob took. What did, it be, what did it take to become an Israel? Number one, he finally understood his incompetence. By the way, 20 years he said he spent with Laban. I don't know exactly how old when he went to Laban, but he was a, you know, basically a full-grown man. And now, 20 years later, he's in his, I would assume, 40s, 50s. And even up until that point, there was no real spiritual... A change in his life. He had wasted, squandered nearly his entire, really his entire life up until this point. There's no mark where you could say, you know, son, that guy Jacob, you ought to, you ought to aspire to be like him. Nobody ever said that. Instead, they said, watch out for Jacob. He's, he's crooked. He'll deceive you, he'll steal from you, he'll trick you, he'll betray you. But now something changes in his life. Genesis chapter 32, verse number 6. He understood his incompetence. This is when he goes back to meet his brother. The last words he heard out of Esau's mouth was, the time of mourning for dad is at hand, and I'm going to slay my brother. I'm going to kill him as soon as dad dies. I'm not going to bring grief to dad, but I'm going to kill Jacob. It's the first chance I get. And he felt like Esau meant it. Jacob is nearing home, and this band came to meet, is coming from Esau to meet Jacob. Jacob, and Jacob feels like he's coming to kill him. Verse number 6 says, And the messenger returned to Jacob, saying, We came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee, and four hundred men with him. And Jacob says, there's nowhere to run or hide. And instead, look at verse 7, Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. We, I asked the teens a few weeks ago, I said, what do you think of when you think of Esau versus Jacob. And for a long time in my life, I had the same response as most of them. I thought of, you know, it says that Esau was red and hairy from his birth. And he was known. Imagine this. Jacob put skins of goats on his, on his arms when he went into his dad's uh, to get that blessing. And his dad felt that skin and that hair and was convinced it was Esau. I mean, th- this guy, you know, he was probably, you know, mistaken for Sasquatch on more than one occasion. And uh, so you got him, this hunter, this archer. And then you got Jacob, who he dwelt in tents, and he was what we might call a mama's boy. But I reminded them I said, Remember when he went down and he met Rachel for the first time, and he uncovers the well, that big stone? And then as he goes through life, I, mean, I said, This guy uses a pillow or a stone for a pillow. All right, you know, <laughs> he's no pansy. Um, he goes down, and, and I mean, he's tough. He's he's out there he, when he talks to Laban. He says uh, through the night. He said um, he said the frost overtook us. I lost sleep, but any time you know when beasts came in, he said I was there to defend the flock. He he was a man. He was a tough guy. Maybe from the beginning he struggled with that, but at this point he didn't take any handouts. You know he he, he was he was quick to try to overcome people just his name supplanter was to try to take the upper hand of people but now listen to this you can hear the the, the fear in his voice it says he, he was greatly afraid and distressed and he divided the people that was with him all of a sudden he he turns to the defense all his life he was on the offense trying to get and grab and gain and now he's he's defending himself he divided the herd and the flocks into two bands and said, If Esau come to one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. I mean, look at this. At this point, he, he's so scared, he puts some of his wives and children out front. And if Esau kills them, he can run. I mean, he's, he's at its wit's end. I mean, he, he's at the end of the road. And Jacob said, O oh God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which setteth unto me, return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. He said, Look at this, I am not worthy of the least of all thy mercies and of the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. A big difference in prayer from the last time he prayed. I don't see anywhere he's prayed in 20 plus years. The last prayer was, God, if you keep me out of jail, I'll serve you. Now he says, God, I'm not worthy of anything you've given me. I'm not worthy of a single blessing. And he said, I don't have a chance. You've got to preserve my life. And God said, that's what I've been waiting for. God said, now I can speak to you. Now I have someone I can talk to. Listen, pride will always drown out the voice of God. Pride will always drown out the voice of God. When you have pride in your life, God will not and cannot speak to you. And here, for the first time, Jacob said, there's no pride in me. I I have nothing to offer. And if I'm going to be preserved, God's going to have to preserve me. If there's any hope for me, it's in Christ. He understood his incompetence, and along with that, he returned to his Savior. He returned to the Savior whom Abraham knew and Isaac experienced. And now Jacob, who was very distant from this God, that his father and grandfather knew personally, he returned to him, his Savior. We see a, a heart of repentance. Look at verse number 23. It says, This is after he had divided everything, the evenings come, <clears throat> and he took them and sent them over the brook. Um, uh, all that he had, sent over that he had. And look at verse 24. And Jacob was left alone. We find him alone. It's just him and God. He found a place where the noise was gone. The busyness was away. And he could just meditate and seek God. And once again, I think God said, that's what I've been waiting for. You're finding a place where I can really speak to you. This is where... The voice of God can be heard. You remember in the Old Testament when there was the fire, they said God wasn't in the fire, and there was the whirlwind, the Lord wasn't in the whirlwind. But then there was a still small voice, and it required a place of solitude to hear it. You know, God's not going to scream through the busyness of your life, you're going to have to get quiet. You want to hear from him. We read this morning, if you're up to date in your Bible reading, in Mark, the second chapter, I think it was this morning, yesterday today. I was a day behind, so it might have been yesterday, but I read this morning. Where it says, And Jesus rose up a great while before day and went out and prayed. You know, it's exciting as you look around that you see the miracles, you see the lame being. Healed and rising to walk. You see the dumb speaking and the deaf hearing. You see the soul saved. You see the crowds pressing him. say, where would it come from? Well, you could say, well, he was God. It was required. But there was something else. It was his personal time with God. You say, how do you know that? Because you can look at all kinds of examples throughout the Bible and even history and even presently. Or if you want God to work, you're going to have to get alone with Him. If you want to hear the voice of God, He's going to have to hear your voice. I believe that God wants to speak today like He spoke to Jacob. But for us to hear His voice, we're going to have to get into His presence. It says, And Jacob was left alone. He returned to his Savior. And along with that, he prevailed in prayer. Let me give you the backdrop for what happens in these next few verses. Most of you know the story, but there in prayer, he meets a man. The Bible says he was the angel of the Lord. That word angel basically means messenger. He was a messenger from God. Now, I'm not going to split hairs tonight. Some people believe he was an angelic angel or an angelic uh, person. Some people believe he was actually Jesus Christ. And uh, I somewhat believe more to that, but I, I don't have enough... Uh, scripture to to argue with it. So either way, he meets someone from heaven. And that in itself is good enough. And there he uh, says, you're going to bless me. And before long, they get in a, if you're from the north, a wrestling match. If you're from the south, a wrestling match. And they begin to wrestle. You guys would understand that better. And there with this angel, the Bible says he wrestles throughout the night. Again, if you think this is a mama's boy... He's wrestling with an angel and he's uh, holding his own. Now we know that this angel, we find that he has power um, that Jacob can't conquer. But for a while, for hours it seems, he wrestled and he wasn't losing, but he wasn't winning. And we find him saying something like this, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. He said, I'm not leaving this place until there's a change in my life. I think it's safe to say Jacob got to a point in his life and he said, I'm sick of the way I'm living. I'm sick of the way my family's uh, growing up and my sons are being raised. I'm sick of the way my marriage is. And I'm not leaving. Do you bless me? Can I tell you, he prevailed that night. Look with me in verse number 28. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob but Israel, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. You can prevail tonight. It's gonna to cost you. It's gonna cost you. You're gonna to have to get real sick of yourself. Amen. You're gonna to have to prevail with God. You're gonna to have to stay there until there's a a place of prevailing. Amen. I just heard for the to my knowledge, for the first time, the story of the conversion of Hudson Taylor. He was known for being in India or a um, sorry, missionary in in China, and he began a great work, and many missionaries went out uh, through his influence. But when he was a child, he, uh, his testimony goes something like this. He said, I desired to be saved, and, and he said, I, I felt like, he, in his own words, he said, it was like I, I couldn't get saved. I didn't know what to do, and I, I tried, and, and he said, salvation was hopeless for me. And he said, I was ready to give up. And there was one day he went into his dad's study and he was looking at some, some literature and he saw this, this tract and he began to read it. And he had no desire to really make it, uh, allow it to make a difference in his life, a change in his life. He didn't know this, but some 70 miles away, his mother became, became so convicted over her son she began to pray for her own son, her only son. She said, God, I'm not giving up praying until you do something in my son's life. Hours went by and this dear woman prayed. Think of that verse, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And there came a point where she said, I had perfect peace and I couldn't pray any longer for my son's conversion. So she began to praise God for his conversion. When she got home, her son was quick to meet him at, her at the door and share the news of his, his conversion, him getting saved. And as they spoke, it was in that same hour that she had perfect peace, that he bowed his knees and trusted Christ. We saw earlier the influence Jacob had on his family. I wonder, dads, what kind of influence are you having on your children, on your wife? Moms, if you were raising a Hudson Taylor today, would he be born again because of your faithful and fervent praying? We look at the sons of Jacob. Would you raise a Joseph because of your faithfulness? Or is it safe to say many times we're more interested in the things of this world and in sports and in our job and, and in our retirement and in what we can acquire for ourselves, that we dismiss the things of God as if they're not important? Someday, I, can I say that when we enter heaven, a man used to say, I've heard a couple of people say this one firsthand, that... He said, I wonder if someday we'll get to heaven and we'll get to walk through and see all the things that God wanted to give us. But we didn't have the faith to receive it. You know, God's goodness and His riches go beyond our understanding and expectation. Jacob would have never known that God was going to speak to him. He was going to wrestle with this angel. He never knew what was in store for him. But by faith, he stepped out. By faith, he said, I'm going to just step out and and see what God can do. I don't know where you're at tonight. I hope that you're not waiting to hit the bottom before you're willing to look up. Because whether you're a Jacob, or you're a persecutor of the church, like Saul of Tarsus, or you're a Peter who's just... Struggled for a moment. This is a good place for all of us to begin. And decide, I want to start hearing from God. When's the last time you really heard the voice of God? Again, I'm not saying God's going to speak to you audibly. But isn't it an amazing thing when God really presses you in a certain matter, Gives you perfect peace about something. I'm not talking about some flippant thing like when we were kids... We'd go to mom first cuz mom usually gave us what we wanted before dad would. We said, "Mom, can we do this?" "Go ask your dad." Okay. We go ask dad and he'd say, "Go ask your mom." So we go back over here, "Dad said ask you." "We'll ask him." So we go back over to mom and he'd say, "I'll pray about it." That meant no with an exclamation point. <laughs> because it usually took dad two or 3 days to pray about something and what we're asking for was going to happen within two or 3 days. I'm not talking about that kind of faith and that kind of hearing from God. I'm talking about the kind where maybe you're in a public place and it's like God says, see that guy over there? Go witness to him. He needs the gospel. When's the last time God did that in your heart? When's the last time maybe God gave you a direction? God showed you, you know, you're reading your Bible and it's like something just pops out on the page and says, this is for you. When's the last time you got a message or a letter like Brother Carr got, where someone said, And you're, you know, your ministry is a real blessing to me? And it's like God's saying, I haven't given up on you. That was from me. Keep preaching, keep faithfully serving, keep being a witness. God still wants to speak. And as I said a moment ago, no one's exempt. You're not exempt. Unless you choose to be. And I want to encourage us as a church. Let's make a point to start seeking God in a way that he's able to speak to us and use us. We're, in, we're living in such a wicked world. You see the desires of people in politics. The corruption. The great turning away. The falling away. We see wickedness like we've never seen before. We see the breakdown of the home and, and just the falling away of believers. We need to hear from God. I hope that's your desire tonight. I hope there's something within you that says, I'm tired of this, maybe a lukewarm Christianity or, or, or just a, a, a ritualistic Christianity. I want, to, I want something more. I think God says, I want to give you something more if you'll get, get right, get where you need to be, that I can speak to you. Let's be that one that would say, God, like a Jacob, in myself I have nothing to offer, in turning to God with repentance, seek Him. We might see the hand of God work in our midst.